0: You're listening to What The History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now.
1: Hey nerds, it's Sarah and Casey. We are here to follow up on part one that we did of the history of childbirth with part two. So we're going to just kind of pick up where we left off like three weeks ago. Obviously, yep. we've we've left you hanging. Um, you don't know how anything <laughs> works now. So so I'm sure you're all very relieved.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is going to be interesting because it's once again, a bunch of men getting involved in shit and making things more challenging. Yeah. Um, and actually, I have to be honest, it was hard to find some changes in a lot of the decades so like yeah the 30s really wasn't like too much different than like the 20s which is where we left off but then the 40s and 50s we start to get like other things happening that
1: are kind of
0: going to change
1: childbirth I don't know if that makes sense I think for both of us like our sections are probably a little shorter just because it's like more similar yeah like because you do the 20s through the 70s and there's like some big changes but some things stay the same yeah. And then I do the 70s till now. And it's really kind of like similar stories across the different decades. So we'll yeah. see what happens. I'm
0: hoping I caught what did change, but I don't yeah. know. We'll, we will see. So, yeah, I'm going to pick it up from the 1930s. <laughs> so we're starting off really positive. Oh, again, trigger warning, blood, uteruses, right. uh, gendered, or what is it, language.
1: Yeah, uh, death
0: yes um probably
1: some dead babies some dead women. men being
0: like, shit uh, mm-hmm. just a lot of triggering stuff so yeah just if you skipped part one you might want to skip part or two you hated part one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay There's my
1: favorite like make- makeup youtuber always starts the video with like if you don't like me don't fucking watch this video that's <laughs> something like if you don't want to hear about childbirth don't fucking listen
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. That's the only dis- like disclaimer slash trigger warning we can offer you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the 1930s starts off really positive with the Great Depression. Yay. Um, <laughs> so I actually would have thought that the Great Depression would have caused more women to give birth at home. Mm -hmm. Um, just because of like, I guess, a lack of access and money and stuff. But believe it or not, I mean, believe it or not, you fucking know this information. (laughs) Believe it or not, to the people who don't know, (laughs) um, it actually increased the amount of people giving birth in hospitals, which Mm -hmm. I find strange, but whatever. So millions of people basically had to significantly had to deal with significantly less income at their disposal, but families still clearly focused on having as safe a childbirth as possible and I feel like saying that is like an oxymoron like yeah a safe childbirth in the 1930s seems kind of strange but as possible right um uh, and safety is like a relative term too because I was looking at stuff and it said like there were somewhere between a 40 to 50 percent increase in infant deaths just from birth injuries which was most likely caused by unnecessary interventions by doctors okay. which we will come back to kind of later on as as we progress through time um, Twilight Sleep, I'm sure you all remember the <laughs> horrific
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: good stuff that Sarah went through last time, was still being used in basically 100% of births, which was interesting both at home and in the hospital. So I'm assuming that in the 30s, only the wealthier women who were able to, like, have a birthing suite at home had that kind of access to, like, a drug-induced birth.
1: Yeah, if you could have like an um what is it, like a house call doctor.
0: Right. And I'm not imagining like people in the dust bowl like getting, <laughs> you know, fucking whatever, chlorophyll. Well now I had whatever. to think of
1: did you ever read that book Out of the Dust?
0: Oh my god,
1: yes. And it's like the mom gets like fucking burned to death and Holy has a baby. shit,
0: Yes. Oh right. my god. And now the daughter's I've... hands are burned and she can't yes. play piano.
1: Oh my god. Okay, I just wanna like
0: thank you. I just wanna say For all my English teacher friends that listen, what the fuck is wrong with y'all for making us read these, like, traumatic-ass stories? And
1: that's all I remember about that book. Like, Mm -hmm. whenever I was supposed to learn about the Dust Bowl, I don't know. Right. I just know that lady's mom, like, skin burned off and she had a baby and died. Yeah. Like, I think she was pregnant and, like,
0: hot oil burned her. Yeah, she was
1: carrying something with, like, gas. Yeah or something and And then then, like the
0: daughter i feel like was was mad at the baby or something for being (laughs) it was dark did you ever read wait did you ever read the story all summer in a day i don't think so it's this like little girl who lives on like jupiter or some shit and like it only rains there like all the time except for one day out of the year this is so fucked up and (laughs) totally irrelevant to anything we're talking about. No, I'm about. excited. But, like, the kids, like, don't like her for whatever reason. I think because she's, like, a new kid and she, like, comes from Earth, but, like, they don't really, they're jealous that she's, like, seen sunlight and stuff. Okay. Um, And she's, like, really struggling to adapt. And they lock her in a fucking closet. And they oh. don't let her outside to play in the sun the one day a year that they're, like, able to play out in the sun. Who and, like, it's so dark.
1: for children. I
0: don't know. It's so fucking sad.
1: No, hate it
0: yeah it has no relevance to anything i'm talking about but no it's fine just terrible i'm just thinking books. of traumatizing reading experiences as a child yeah. and then we had to like dissect that and i was like i don't really know how else to dissect it other I, than children are it. yeah children. it's sad
1: the end yeah
0: yeah so nothing that i'm gonna share now is uh very happy either but basically it's fine um oh actually that's not true this next bullet says death rates of birthing mothers began to fall in this decade Because of the introduction of sulfa antibiotics. So Mm -hmm. they acted against the streptococcal bacteria that was responsible for most cases of pure peril fever.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Pure peril fever. That's
1: how we decided to say it. (laughs) Uh,
0: Which is what most commonly killed women after giving birth with like doctors running around using the same forceps and not wearing gloves and just like pulling babies out left and right. By the end of the decade, about 75% of births happened at a hospital and were attended to by an obstetrician, which again really isn't too different from the 20s, other than the fact that we have antibiotics now. Yeah. Um, which and, is a big difference. Oh, it is. It's actually a huge difference. I, I totally downplayed <laughs> that. But like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's just like, just some antibiotics. antibiotics. No you big know, deal. It's fine. Less people are dying. Oh, Whatever. So then in the 1940s is when we start to see an increase in hospital births. And one of the things I was reading was actually because of the amount of women who were now trained medically, Mm -hmm. they were able to – because of the World War II hospitals, like, they were able to accommodate more people. Yeah. And that included birthing mothers. That makes sense. Um, And then, of course, we have in the 40s the baby boom. So that's, like, in full swing by 1945. Um, And – Women started to take full advantage of these medical advances that were happening at the time. Uh, women's nutrition and health improved, which ensured way fewer problems caused by dietary deficiencies, such as rickets. Something I know yeah. nothing about, yet greatly fear.
1: I've what- heard of this.
0: Do you know what rickets are?
1: It's Is that the one where it's like if you didn't get enough sunlight... Is it that one? Softening and weaking of bones in children because of an extreme prolonged vitamin D deficiency. Oh. Yeah, because I think that's the one. Um, have you ever seen those pictures of like the outdoor baby cages? Oh, Where, my God. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. And the apartments. Uh, yes. And like mm-hmm. the baby would go out there to get sunlight so they didn't get rickets.
0: Oh my is god! Is what I think
1: it is. Like that's yeah. what I associate it with. You're, is cause you're right. then the, yeah, they got vitamin D, but like you didn't have to go outside.
0: I don't know why I thought rickets was the same as that thing that you get if you had chicken pox, shingles. I always Jingles associated. <laughs> I always associated rickets with shingles, even though. I don't really know why. Unclear. Yeah, it's just like a weird fucking name. So yeah, and I hear shingles are also traumatizing. So
1: I think I confuse rickets with scurvy. So who knows? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But yours is probably closer because it's like a lack of what well, is it? Vitamin C or something?
1: Yeah, because scurvy is vitamin C, and then I think rickets is vitamin D. Yes. Okay. Which is scurvy, <laughs> you're supposed to eat an orange, and right. rickets and that go in the window it. cage. <laughs> the window
0: cage. Yep. I just can't fathom a world in which you walk down the street and you're like,
1: oh, oh look like all a the babies out, yeah. yeah,
0: just like hanging out. Yeah, no. I just literally want to know, though, like who fucking thought that was a good idea?
1: I, I mean, who I bet invented- it was at this at the time. Like, I bet Ooh. if they had Shark Tank at the time, that would. Oh yeah. I'm been hearing great. the theme song. Do do
0: do yeah do <laughs> do <laughs> and it's like oh yeah I got baby cages. Hold on, who invented baby Let's see, cages? Who invented in
1: 1922, but they're origin began with the 1884 book the care and feeding of children a man named luther Emmett describes how babies need to be aired out to renew and purify their blood they need to be aired out oh my god but a lot of people lived in apartments without outdoor space so they built these things i see one that
0: says that it was invented by robert c mrs robert c lafferty interesting what's interesting is lafferty is a family name of mine oh like my great you should get some royalties dude right fucking baby cages who knows well i'm sitting on millions here oh this
1: isn't because it's saying this is like the predecessor to have you seen things that like in scandinavia and those areas um they'll like leave the babies outside when they go into a restaurant like they just park the strollers outside while the baby sleeps and like go in and then no. it's the same idea that like the baby should be aired out
0: I've seen like Russian women who dunk their babies in like snow and they're like, they'll be fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I know some like Nordic countries, there's basically stroller parking at a restaurant, but you like leave the babies in the stroller and just go do your thing.
0: That's awesome, though. But also like, I I mean, I don't know. I think it'd be if it's monitored. I mean, it's also like Sweden. So like nothing happens there.
1: I mean, true. I and their know. prisons
0: I'm, are like beautiful hotels. My
1: mind just goes to like Madeline McCann. I'm like, I'm not leaving you anywhere. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I but feel anyway.
0: like baby cages are probably, I don't know. I feel like at some point they will make some type of a comeback in some different form.
1: Probably. Like
0: some obscure parenting hack. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Okay. So back to the fun of World War II. Um, <laughs> twilight sleep <laughs> was still most common practice when, um, giving birth, but this is actually going to start to change with the publishing of a book entitled revelation of childbirth in 1942. So throughout the forties, we're still going to see the twilight sleep, but this book is going to be, um, a huge hit for, I mean, doctors, women, etc. in understanding the like birthing process. So this book was written by a man named, <laughs> Dr. Dick Reed. Good. Red. I don't nope. know if it's Red or Reed. What do we want? Dick Red or Reed. Dick Reed? Reed? Dick Reed. Okay. So Dick Reed. <laughs> I don't know why. It just feels right. It feels right. It's probably not, but it's fine. So Dick Reed was a British doctor who served in World War One with the Royal Army Medical Corps, and he was severely injured at the Battle of Gallipoli, which was a huge fucking failure and spearheaded by good old Winston Churchill. But I digress. Mm. I do love talking about Gallipoli, <laughs> mostly because it's fun to say. After the war, Dick Reed returns to London Hospital for a year before completing his MD at Cambridge. And throughout the 20s, he works at this like clinic and he begins to specialize in childbirth and child care, where he wrote up all different notes about different cases he experienced with his patients. So actually, like, kind of on par with what you talked about last episode, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, men getting more involved and... yeah. Stuff like that, like the clinic aspect of it. So he published his first book called Natural Childbirth in 1933, and this was the book that actually coined the phrase natural childbirth. It hadn't been used previously. Oh, that's
1: so, good. I have a note about that phrase later.
0: Oh, perfect. Okay, great. Because he's like kind of a very weird figure, and I'm going to gonna get into like why he's actually a problematic jabroni, but again, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. So the term natural childbirth was defined as being, quote, the absence of any intervention that would otherwise disturb the sequence of labor, quote. And the book that he wrote in 33 basically argued that because, quote, unquote, civilized British women Mm -hmm. were afraid of birth, the birth rate was subsequently dropping. So if they started to not be afraid of birth, birth itself would become easier since fear equals tension therefore making birth less difficult okay so from someone who knows very little to nothing about this i'm assuming he basically means that if women are afraid when they're giving birth it's going to be harder for them to give birth yes, but if they feel which would makes sense true
1: yeah right i would i would say is true i don't know about this civilized piece well but right, right. That the civilized
0: part, part is where he just starts to get problematic but like yeah but that his, part
1: is the basis of a lot of like stuff today like yeah. Birth- and his Birth Without Fear is like a big organization and that kind of thing.
0: Yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So he basically is saying, like, look, we need to make sure that women know that, like, natural childbirth, as he's calling mm-hmm. it, is not something to be afraid of. And he basically starts to, d- like, discuss with other peers that, like, the less intervention, the better. Mm hmm um and his ideas were totally ridiculed and he was actually expelled from the clinic that he worked in. No good. So, he opens up his own a year later in 1934. His second book, which is Revelation of Childbirth, which is later retitled Childbirth Without Fear, yeah, was aimed more towards the general population. So, it wasn't as much of a medical text as Natural Childbirth was. Mm-hmm. And in the book he continues to push the ideas of encouraging women to have a more quote natural approach to giving birth. Uh, the book became an international bestseller, and Dick Reed went on to give lectures around the world before becoming the first president of the UK National Childbirth Association, which is now called the National Childbirth Trust. Um, another really interesting fun fact about this guy in 1957, <laughs> a phonograph album was released entitled Natural Childbirth, a documentary record of the birth of a baby. So, basically, as far as I can tell, he was the first like audiobook. Creator for expectant mothers. Like I'm assuming okay. that, like phonographs were purchased, and then like women could listen, listen to yeah. what he was saying about it. Um, that's funny
1: because by the the documentary record of the birth of a baby, I thought it was just an album of like birth sounds.
0: Oh my god, that's like, actually horrifying.
1: Yeah, like I don't know why. Do you, you mean like that. birth
0: sounds like a birth playlist or birth sounds like no, screaming like, like a woman giving birth? Okay, okay, yeah. But
1: then that's awkward because like. A lot of birth sounds sound like sex.
0: Yeah, that, like, grunting and, like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because and it's a very... I mean, it's a primal fucking thing. Right. And so like, it's sex, so it makes perfect sense.
1: But I don't know. That was my first thought at the, like, documentary whatever. Was like, imagine
0: was... this fucking man sitting in an armchair. His name is Dick Reed. And he's oh, just sitting there listening to an album that sounds like sex, but it's not. It's women getting oh, birth. Oh, no. There, there's... Uh, that actually makes me kind of not... <laughs> um so fun fact further about dick reed is -hmm. that despite the fact that he advocated for women to have more say in childbirth he's actually often criticized as being anti-feminist and here is a fun list of quotes that i compiled um of things that he's written or said that support this claim that he is anti-feminist despite his like work in empowering women to have more say in childbirth yeah um in a later book he goes on to write quote woman fall oh sorry woman
1: <laughs> woman falls
0: woman falls woman fails when she ceases to desire the children for which she was primarily made her true emancipation lies in freedom to fulfill her biological purposes okay so if we unpack that he used the word emancipation which makes me feel very gross uh-huh. um ceases to desire the children for which she was which primarily she, made right.
1: for so what other purpose
0: do women have than yeah, birthing children? child
1: all women should want children or there's something wrong with them
0: exactly um so then he goes on to state that tribal women who died in childbirth did so quote without any sadness realizing if they were not competent to produce children for the spirits of their fathers and for the tribe they had no place in the tribe quote, so the
1: same thing but racist
0: yeah. <laughs> yes yes exactly exactly like, same um, idea
1: just he wanted to use the word tribe
0: yeah you said it perfectly and and it was like women should be honored to like die in childbirth like the, not competent to produce children is actually what like really fucking gets me but yeah <sighs> again um then in 1942 he wrote quote the mother is the f- all right, this is so fucked up. <laughs> he wrote, quote, The mother is the factory, and by education and care, she can be made more efficient in the art of motherhood, quote. Okay. Uh, and my last claim that Dick Reed was a fucking terrible person and an anti-feminist was... Um, His claim that, quote, primitive women did not experience childbirth pain, although he did not define primitive and never watched women in childbirth in primitive societies. So, like, basically, I think he's saying, like, women in the olden days, before all this Twilight sleep shit, they never experienced pain in childbirth. And, like, you know, far be it for us to say that, like... You know, I don't even fucking know. But yeah. women... Well, there are
1: a lot of older texts, like, from this time that say very racist things about basically, like, not feeling like Black women, especially, like, Black single or young women who came in oh. felt the same kind of pain or pain in the same way. I which, have
0: heard that. I, and I've heard that there's, now, like... like...
1: I mean, even now, like, they take pain less seriously right? In black women a lot, or Black patients in general. But I've seen, I was like, gonna say, I've explicit... heard that
0: they take, like, pain that women of color bring into, like, the hospital yeah. way less seriously.
1: But um, even with that, I've seen, like, explicit things saying, like, I can't remember what book it was. There's some book that talks about, like, a Black teenage mother, and basically the doctors are like, well, she's fine. Like, she's not mm-hmm. in pain.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting, too, how there was always this sense of, like, othering women of the past as though they were more, like, animalistic. I mean, it, this yeah. especially happens with, like, women of color. But, like, I think it's interesting how even his definition of, like... First of all, he's not defining primitive, but he's also saying, like, you know, you don't see a dog complaining about giving birth right. and shit. Like, even though it probably fucking hurts, they just don't have the ability to, like, express it the same way that human beings do. Yeah. Um. So that was, like, the first major kind of turning point in the 40s for childbirth. Um The other one actually kind of came out of nowhere. I, I didn't expect to find something like this, but it's sort of this, <clears throat> like, medical report that gets released about human sexuality. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's the Kinsey reports.
1: Like the Kinsey scale? Yes. Then yes.
0: So I'd never heard of the Kinsey scale before. Okay. Um. And so, like, I don't know. For people who've never heard of it, basically this group of people and like based off of this one doctor's like researcher is he a doctor a sociologist or something i don't know he basically writes these scholarly books about the human sexual experience yeah so, i know he
1: was known as like the leader of the sexual revolution like kind of the yeah precursor to a lot of that
0: he is and it's interesting because just like heads up people listening this gets a little bit more gendered and his reports kind of get a little iffy with their understanding of sexual orientation. So just trigger yeah. warning. But also he does talk about sexual orientation being a spectrum. Which, yeah. That's
1: like the Kinsey scale whole idea, mm-hmm.
0: which is actually, I feel like for the 1940s into the fifties is like kind of a big fucking deal. Yeah. Um. So in 1948, he publishes or they publish a group of people published, but then it's called Kinsey, um, publish a book entitled sexual behavior in the human male. And then several, several years later, The book Sexual Behavior of the Human Female is published in 1953. I'm only going to talk about the human female because that's the one that kind of changes the game for women at this time. Right. But the book was supposedly based on approximately 6,000 women who were personally interviewed. And Kinsey looked at the data for, like, how frequently women participated in different kinds of sexual activity, um, factors like age, socioeconomic status, religious influence, how that impacted their understanding of sexuality, of their bodies, of their partners, of whatever... And the reason why the book is such a big deal in the history of childbirth is that the published findings ultimately increased women's access to knowledge about their own bodies. Mm -hmm. So, like, for the first time, women had, like, a lot more of a comprehensive understanding of their own reproductive organs and how they worked, which was informative and empowering. So rather than just being like, okay, I have to go... Do whatever the doctor says and like when he tells me to push i push and like if i f- if my body feels like it needs to push but the doctor's telling me not to then i have to listen to the doctor so like right understanding how you know the uterus works how all this shit happens especially giving birth helped women feel more comfortable when it came time for them to give birth Um, So that kind of leads us into the 50s. So by the end of this decade, we're going to see the number of women giving birth in a hospital increasing to 90 percent. We start to see a lot more protests by women about being unconscious during the entirety of childbirth um, and more and more details start to come out about like the abhorrent conditions women were kept under with Twilight Sleep. There's this huge release of these like shocking and horrific pictures of unconscious women tied to beds, soiled in their own excrement, basically all that really awful stuff that you were talking about last episode. And at the same time, there's also the scientific evidence that's being released about how dangerous some of these side effects can be and what issues this can cause like infants and the mothers um, Mm -hmm. between the heavy anesthetics and the medications that were used on them. So instead of stressing the so-called benefits of twilight sleep, the national organization for public health nursing begins to actually emphasize how pregnancy and childbirth were normal, healthy and could and should be considered a family affair that doesn't require you to be completely fucking knocked out. Um, So by 1954, we see something called the high forceps operation, uh, which is when a baby is pulled out with forceps while it was still high up in the pelvis it's yeah. pretty much totally eliminated um which is I mean good I'm assuming because right. that sounds terrible
1: yeah no I'm, I'm no
0: um I, just the thought of it' it's like making my body go like <laughs> mm-hmm. Bleh. um and then the more common practice at this point was the mid forceps or low forceps deliveries which were still used on most women. And there was something I saw called prophylactic forceps. Does that sound like something you've heard of? I don't think so. So it says it was the preventative use of low forceps and it took place when the physician cut an episiotomy and then used forceps to pull the baby out when it was crowning. Not because anything was wrong, but just in case something did go wrong that could endanger the life of the child or the mother.
1: Okay. That concept I've heard of.
0: Yeah. So it's actually called the Maxi-Min approach. Uh, So it basically refers to the use of aggressive interventions in order to minimize the maximum potential losses. Mm -hmm. So basically doctors at the time were like, okay, we have all these different types of forceps we can use combined with an episiotomy, combined with all this other stuff that was being used during most deliveries to prevent very rare complications but like in actuality only like a small percentage of women were actually like benefiting from this approach
1: right which kind of makes sense cuz i think cuz we're in the 50s right and yeah. i think around the 60s is when um medical malpractice insurance starts to really become a thing okay um and i think i talk about this a bit but a lot of stuff that they do is like preventative because they don't want to get sued
0: yeah that actually makes sense and the 60s will also have a lot of like preventative stuff for women as well
1: mm-hmm. not
0: just the doctors so that actually makes sense that everyone's kind of covering their own asses yeah but again because I really couldn't find too much stuff in the 50s I thought I would talk about some really fucked up doctors during the 50s and some mm-hmm. of the things that they were doing so actually I just have one set of really shitty doctors that okay. is gonna get pretty awful but I thought that right. it was interesting enough to kind of explore a little bit so Dr. G.G. Passmore and Dr. Edgar W. Santa Cruz were two doctors who ultimately wanted to see if they could give women a quick and pleasant method of pain relief during labor. So they started giving Demerol and scopolamine together in the same syringe, which is apparently a big fucking deal. I don't know what that means, but apparently it's a big deal. I believe it. The biggest deal is that it was without the knowledge or consent of their patients. Cool. So the women had no fucking idea what they were being injected with. Nice. So according to their quote unquote findings, the only harmful effects that they observed in the mothers that received this shot were occasional nausea and vomiting, which they called a blessing in disguise, quote unquote, because it emptied the mother's stomach, which made it okay. a lot easier for them to work, cool. dizziness, sleepiness, and numbness. Oh, so does. it's it's like a different, right? it's like a different type of twilight sleep. I kind of got that vibe. Um, it wasn't obviously the same, but it was intended to be like not them the fuck out so we don't have to deal with it um they noted that the babies born from this practice did not require any resuscitation any more frequently than other babies at the time even though they didn't actually report the rate of babies who did need resuscitation so this makes no fucking sense and their study is garbage uh this quote-unquote new routine allowed dr passmore and dr santa cruz to keep their patients sleeping throughout labor and based on the 917 labors in which they used this routine, both said that, quote, without reservation, our experiences with it have been truly gratifying for us as well as for our patients. In the light of our statistics and the number of cases which we have handled, we feel that this technique offers little or no hazard to either mother or baby.
1: So this is similar to like what they said about twilight sleep. Like you're just asleep and it's fine. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. So not only did these two fuckwads experimentally drug birthing mothers without their knowledge, but they both openly scoffed at anyone who would not use their technique. So here comes the longest quote I've ever read on this podcast, but it was so fucked up. I had to make sure to include all of it. So here's my Dolores Umbridge hem hem. Every day we see obst- Oh, fuck. Every day we see obstetrical patients who are frightened onto... Res- who are frightened into resorting to such monstrosities as the so called natural childbirth, quote unquote, and other methods just as ridiculous in these modern times, all because sensational writers for the lay press, well wishing relatives and friends, and even some physicians who have little or no experience with good analgesia and sedation force feed these unfortunate women with misinformation and nonsensical ideas concerning the use of drugs in labor and delivery. They are even hypnotized into believing that it is so wonderful, so satisfying, and so soothing to be awake in the delivery room, to hear that first little cry, which is more of a figment of a masochistic imagination than a reality. Most of the time, it is downright disappointing to both patient and doctor for the patient to be conscious of what is going on in the delivery room. There are many couples who only have one child because of the discomfort and unhappy experiences they remember in having their first baby, and more broken marriages from the resulting fear of pregnancy
1: okay i feel like people say shit like that now the 50s man
0: oh uh, for sure and i think that's why i included the whole thing because i think it's like i don't know i think and i know you're gonna get into this too but like i really think that the fact that like they're just shitting on women who want to be conscious for the birth of their fucking human child that they just grew for nine months in their body is like so ridiculous like you know and like i also see like a lot of people who are always like shitting on women who want to get you know what the fucking what's that thing Epidurals. That an epidural and people are like can we yeah. just like let people do whatever the fuck they want to do that's going to make this the most positive experience possible because yeah like, i'm sorry but like nothing about this sounds like super pleasant just like I'm sure, you know, I just, you're going to laugh at me because I know you hate birth scenes in movies and TV shows. Oh,
1: they're all so bad.
0: But I've been watching Jane the Virgin because it's like really lighthearted. A great show. And it's such a great show. But I keep thinking of when Zoe is telling her five minutes of pain for a lifetime of happiness. And I'm like, that's fine. I think that if you push that type of like rhetoric of like... Okay, like, it's going to be really tough, but it's going to be worth it. But then we have these fucking people that are like, like, you have some nerve to want to be awake to hear the first <laughs> cry of your child. Like, what the fuck? So that's the 50s. Um, we also see, actually, I thought this was cool, too, because I think cesarean sections or C-sections, because that's, I don't
1: know, words are hard for me. I mean, that's what most people call it. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Um, I think that's actually really cool, too, because in this time frame... There was apparently, like, in most hospitals, it was common that women were told that they had to be sterilized after having two, three, or four C-sections. Yeah. So in a 1956 paper called Multiple Cesarean Sections by Dr. James Bremner and Dr. James Dillon of Chicago, Illinois... After that paper gets released, it actually changes the game quite a bit when it came to this like common practice of basically like removing the uterus and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, the purpose of their paper I guess was to describe what happens to uterine scars in women who had previous C-sections in a setting where women were not sterilized after a C-section. So, like in right. their hospital, women weren't actually sterilized, so they were able to look at that study long term. Uh the study revealed the authors' having 105 cases of repeat c-sections one woman had seven two women had six nine women had five 29 women had four and 64 women had three so just sorry the fact that there was any one woman that had seven fucking c-sections and also seven children (laughs) like blew my mind um of these different cases there were no maternal deaths no sterilizations no uterine ruptures there was one hysterectomy that was due to a degenerating uterus Two newborn deaths. Both were born prematurely and two stillbirths. One was because the mother was an uncontrolled diabetic, and one stillbirth was born too early at 22 weeks. Okay. So based on these statistics, both Dr. Bremner and Dr. Dillon felt it wasn't necessary to actually require sterilization after two or more Mm -hmm. C-sections. And they argued, quote, we feel that no definite limit may be placed on any given patient as to the number of cesareans she may have, but that the uterine scar in each instance must be evaluated individually. It is our belief that women who are subjected to sterilizing procedures and has Hysterectomies in their early years are deprived of a right which they desire and to which they are entitled. As a result, they are subjected to demoralizing psychosomatic changes which might otherwise be avoided. Quote. The only problem with the study is ultimately it was too small of a sample because it was only mm-hmm. like a hundred, like a hundred and some odd women. But it did seem to give women a little bit more like autonomy in some sense of understanding what happens to their body during and after giving birth, especially in C-sections, which women had to be a lot more like really knocked out for in a lot of cases because of just the whole process of it.
1: And so I'll talk about this too, but at the time when they did a C-section, they did a horizontal incision.
0: Okay, so um, that's
1: like cutting directly across the stomach, or I'm sorry, not horizontal. They did vertical at the time, so okay, it would be okay, up and like down the middle of your stomach, and then holy they also, shit, like, and they like it changes over time, and now you would almost always get a horizontal one, but vertical incisions had like a much higher risk for other issues. Yeah, um, I mean they have to like remove your organs. Right. Yeah. And so, oh. but the vertical one is just a lot more likely to like rupture. Okay. And they were doing them like higher up, I think at the time, as opposed to like down below the bikini line. Right. Probably because there was less ability to, you know, now you can do a pretty small incision for a lot of things and like get a lot done. Yeah. And I don't think they had the tools for that then.
0: Which is also crazy because you're still like giving, like you're still oh, taking yeah. a fucking human out of your body. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like how, but yeah, you're right. It's a lot more, it's a lot less, I should say invasive than it was. Yeah. Yeah. Also, fun fact, because I think this is fun. Fetal ultrasounds were also invented during the 1950s, Yeah, but they were only used to assess medical problems. They weren't, from what I understood, common. Like, you didn't always go in for an ultrasound like you would do now. Um, And they weren't used to see the sex of the baby like they are now. Right. Uh, okay, finally, we're in the fucking 60s. Whoa. So this is a decade where almost all babies were up to 99% of all American women, at least, giving birth in a hospital. We have the invention and the inclusion of fetal monitoring systems being invented and involved in the like labor whole childbirth experience. So doctors were able to read a paper that showed the changes in the baby's heart rate during labor. Antibiotics became a much more standard treatment in postpartum care, and the rate of both maternal and infant deaths continued to decline into the 60s. The increased focus on natural childbirth also caused the expectation for women to attend antenatal classes. So I thought that it was really weird that it was called antenatal because I just keep thinking of prenatal vitamins. And I yeah. think it's weird that they use anti instead yeah. of pre.
1: Uh, yeah. And I've seen both. But I feel like prenatal is what most people know.
0: Right. Me too. That's what I did know it as. And then I was like, the fuck is antenatal? Um, yeah. So this is basically like all of these classes to learn about relaxation, methods for coping with pain, checking your body to make sure it's okay to give birth, like all this stuff that previously women were basically like, okay stay home okay when you feel like something's happening come to the hospital yeah um so this is also when lamaze international was founded mm. so here's a brief history of lamaze from their website and please note i have no idea what i'm talking about i don't know if this is good i don't know if this is bad i do not fucking know so sarah please feel free to like just interrupt me whenever okay. <laughs> i don't you know i don't, know,
1: I we like I don't know if this is
0: good or not you, we you like, like
1: lamaze and it is i feel like when people think of lamaze they think of the like movie like the hee hee hoo hoo breathing yes, yes. which is not really what lamaze is anymore
0: okay um, that's definitely what i thought of
1: so i here's my like again i'm weird i've never actually done anything with it but i'm certified to teach birth classes and i'm not certified through lamaze but lamaze was the other choice that i would have gone with
0: okay that makes sense so yeah, so there's still an
1: organization
0: okay so then you'll like totally know i'm gonna because i'm gonna talk about the six healthy birth practices <laughs> yeah don't i got you <laughs> It's so funny. Eric was like, what are you fucking researching? And I was like, we're doing history of childbirth part two. He's like, part two. I was like, you can't fit it all in one, man.
1: Yeah, people have been born for literally ever.
0: Could you imagine, though, if we tried to do this in one episode? would No, been we'd still be here. All right. So here we go. Lamaze. Picture this. France. <laughs> 1951. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Dr. Fernand Lamaze introduced a method of childbirth that incorporated techniques that he observed while in Russia, which I find very fucking ironic because the fact that he saw this shit in Russia and I just imagined Russians being so hardcore. And not anything to do with like what I what he comes to find is just mind boggling. So the method he observed consisted of childbirth education classes, breathing techniques and continuous emotional support, as well as the presence of a specifically trained nurse. This method came to be known as the Lamaze method. Okay, in the late 1950s, this technique began to gain popularity through word of mouth, and after Marjorie Carmel... I don't know who that is. person? Is yeah, I don't person? know
1: who that is. Let's see. But it was like
0: a big deal that she did this.
1: Let's see. Who is she? Carmel. A professional actress who turned into an author.
0: Uh, yes, because she writes a book about it. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, I see, I see. Oh, she tragically died in 1964. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You have to fucking see her book. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm horrified. Oh, God, Why? No, it's actually not. I think it's, I think it's What's-His-Face's, it's Dick Reed's book, but it's the first one that came up on Amazon, and it's just this woman screaming, and, like, it's really, oh, I mean, I it's fine, but, like, oh, my God, I'll, I don't even know how to send this to you.
1: Okay, no, I'm,
0: I'm going to Just, it. hold on, I'm going to see if I can send you a So, link. what,
1: you went to Amazon?
0: No, I just put in, like, the chat, I put, I put in the chat, okay. it's, like, I just Googled, thank you, Dr. Lamaze, or, like, Marjorie Carmel. And then yeah. the first link that came up, and then customers who are viewed. Thank you, Dr. Lama's also viewed. And and it's this like woman oh. screaming. Do you see that? Oh, yeah. That's what I thought the book cover was. I was like, wow, she really went fucking hard in the 50s. Yeah, like no, that's
1: that's Dick Reed's book cover. That is Dick Reed's. <laughs> so I, in full disclosure, follow like a bunch of um birth Instagram. So I'm like, this is chill. I see this all the time.
0: <laughs> I just was I was just so astounded by I was like, whoa, oh my god. Okay, so she, like I said, gave birth using the Lamaze method, assisted by Dr. Lamaze himself, and she actually wrote a book called Thank You, Dr. Lamaze, like I just said, um, by it on Amazon, uh, which inspired women to look at childbirth as a shared experience between both mother and father. Then in 1958, Marjorie Carmel and Elizabeth Bing met and began working together to teach the Lamaze method uh, to as many women as they possibly could. So then in 1960, they actually formed what would be later called Lamaze International, which is directly from their website, quote, a not-for-profit organization composed of parents, childbirth educators, healthcare providers, and other health professionals to spread the word about Lamaze and to set the standard for Lamaze childbirth educators, quote. So the practice teaches the six healthy birth practices, which I will tell other people right now because I'm pretty sure Sarah knows what they are. (laughs)
1: I mean, I don't know if I could have told you, like, the six in order, like, how they're whatever, but I could have guessed.
0: I was going to say, I don't think it, I don't think being in order matters. Or maybe it does. I don't know. Well, like, I don't know. So I could so, guess. <laughs> healthy birth practice number one, let labor begin on its own. Healthy practice number two, walk, move around, and change positions throughout labor. Healthy practice number three, bring a loved one, friend, or doula for continuous support. Healthy practice number four, avoid interventions that are not medically necessary. Uh, healthy practice number five avoid giving birth on your back and follow your body's urges to push healthy practice number six keep mother and baby together it's best for mother baby and breastfeeding so regardless of the focus on natural childbirth women in the 60s still experienced a lot of active management by other people in their labor experiences so lamaze was like the first step Um, and it wasn't going to kind of gain ahead. i would say probably until the 70s or 80s probably when you take over yeah routine procedures for women included having their pubic hair shaved getting mm-hmm. an episiotomy and being given an enema and an IV uh which mm-hmm. feels
1: terrible yeah the only one an IV is still routine
0: yes which yeah. makes sense like you just want to make sure that they have enough fluid so like yeah, that's but fair pubic everything hair and else
1: enemas,
0: everything else feels terrible. Yeah. It was also standard practice for women to give birth in a hospital bed, lying flat on their backs, with their feet in stirrups, despite everything that Dr. L says in his practice. My friend Dr. L. Good old Dr. L. (laughs) Um, In addition, doctors frequently asked women whether their contractions were painful. And if the women admitted that they were, doctors gave them a shot, which knocked them out. Okay. (laughs) Which just feels so fucking pointless. Yeah. Question. Your whole body is opening up to (laughs) make way for a child does that hurt? Oh, it does? Yeah. All right. We're going to just inject you. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to share, because I've been talking forever, is this information I got from an article written by a woman who gave birth in 1960s Ireland. And this was like her experience. Okay. So and then in the, like I guess it's like op-ed or just like her own reflection, um, she says that she chose the hospital that she would give birth in. Based on the rumor that the hospital would prioritize the mother's life over the infants if there was some kind of medical emergency where that was necessary. Mm -hmm. So apparently the hospital that she could have chose was a Catholic hospital, which was rumored to be the complete opposite. So like the baby's life would be saved, but not the mother's. But those are just rumors. But honestly, I don't doubt that. Yeah. Her antenatal visits included going to the dental clinic. And if any teeth looked like they needed a filling or treatment, they were just pulled out, which is like fucking horrifying. I don't know why. She didn't say any reason why. Um, She said that she had to receive frequent internal exams of the uterus, which were painful, and ultrasounds were only used with mothers if there was believed to be some kind of emergency or medical issue. Mm -hmm. They weren't, like, standard practice. One quote that really stood out to me was that, quote, all the mothers were terrified of the doctors and matron, so we never asked any questions, quote. Which just feels really sad to me. Yeah. Because I feel like the number one thing that you should do as a, a pregnant person is ask questions. Like, Anytime you have a question, I feel like right. that should be okay. You should be comfortable asking it. She said, as soon as labor started, she was brought to the hospital and her husband was sent home as there were no visitors allowed in until after the baby was born. Then she was given an enema. She was put onto a bed that was then pushed down a long hallway with green marble cubicles that had no doors and a high bed in each one. She was then put into one of the high beds and waited there for about 24 hours, like pretty much in pain as like the labor slowly Got worse or more intense, whatever. Uh, She said her only form of distraction. (laughs) This was my favorite part. Her her only form of distraction at this time were all of these little messages that were scrolled onto the walls of the cubicle by other patients. Most of which were, quote, complaints about men being responsible for the pain they were feeling and how it was well for them not to be able to have babies. Same. (laughs) Which I think is so fucking funny. I I love that. I enjoy that. Um, nurses checked on her every once in a while they did internal exams but they really like never spoke to her she said she said that like they barely made eye contact and eventually the matron came in and this is fucking awful her legs were hoisted up over her head and strapped on either side of the bed onto two metal bars then the doctor oh i'm like getting uh, then the doctor came in (laughs) Gave her an episiotomy, offered no comfort or pain treatment whatsoever, and she said it wasn't until after she had gotten the episiotomy and her legs were unstrapped that she was offered a gas mask to basically knock her pain away. Yeah. Um, She gave birth to a healthy baby, and visiting time was strictly enforced, and only parents and friends could visit at 2 p.m., and evenings were reserved just for the fathers. She did say... That there was a pub across the street and many new dads arrived completely fucking wasted. So I literally wrote, like fucking hell, I would commit homicide.
1: Okay. (laughs) My husband
0: rolled in, wasted after I just had to do all this shit by myself. I'd fucking kill somebody. So
1: when I was born. (laughs) So my mom was in labor for like a really long time. So at some point, my grandparents and their one friend that was there left to go have lunch or dinner. Dinner, maybe. I don't know. Um, like and some
0: type of meal,
1: a meal. And I was born near South Beach in Miami. So they obviously went out and like got really drunk while they were eating. Right. <laughs> and then they went to come back at night and technically visiting hours were over. But they snuck in through the nurse's entrance. And my grandma snuck in a bottle of tequila in her bra for my dad. <laughs>
0: oh my god that's amazing and then they got there
1: and there was no cell phones right so they didn't know what had happened and they were like everyone was crying and we were so confused i'd been born by the time they got back and then they gave my dad
0: tequila so (laughs) i had a friend whose boyfriend passed out from benadryl because he is having an allergic reaction and he was like drugged up on benadryl the whole time that she was giving birth and that sounds like awful she said that many mothers at the time were kept for at least four to six days post-birth and in that time they were taught how to breastfeed how to bathe the babies but mostly the nurses took care of the babies um and and kind of the women and the mothers and she actually said when she reflects on her experience she feels that the women quote were treated like children and like were very disempowered but overall that was what giving birth in 1960s ireland was like cool and that's my
1: seg if you ever want to read the (laughs) most depressing book ever oh yes it's not explicitly about birth but it like obviously includes it it's called the girls who went away and it's about women in like the 40s to 60s who got pregnant out of wedlock and got sent to like homes and then like Mm. gave birth and then like they, they took the baby to get adopted out yeah, very depressing. If you ever want to read that, but it reminds that me of that. sounds
0: really fucking sad. Like it's like a true story. Like a non-fiction. yeah, it's all
1: true stories of like women who are still alive today. Who are like, yeah, when I was fifteen, I got pregnant, and my parents sent me here, and like, this oh my is God. what happened.
0: That makes me think of hairspray. Have you seen hairspray? Oh yeah. When she's like, they're like, okay, how long will you be gone for? She's like, um, nine months. Yeah, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> That's,
1: it's basically that.
0: It's like Brenda or Shelley or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> yep what a time
1: okay so i'm gonna go with the 1970s which is kind of when a lot of things that you read about like modern natural birth type movements or different things start i'm actually gonna start out by talking about a woman named ina may gaskin who is known as like the mother of modern midwifery okay and I'm, so, like, I love Ida Mae. She's had some problematic moments in recent years mm. um, where she hasn't done the best job addressing things like um, the race gaps and maternal mortality and things like that. Okay. Um, she's old. And so she's had some things that didn't go so well. But she had, like, a really, really big impact on kind of birth in the, the United States. So she's born in 1940 and she actually starts out like she studies English literature. She joins the Peace Corps. This isn't something where she goes into medical school or birth or anything like that. But she has her first child in the 1960s and the obstetrician uses forceps and she like hated it. Right. She felt really disempowered and like it wasn't necessary. And so she kind of starts researching just a little bit of like other ways to have babies. Right. Like are there options? But she actually lives kind of in a caravan with her husband who travels around giving seminars oh okay he's some sort of like public speaker gotcha and so she's traveling with him and during this time she's doing some research but in 1971 when she's touring she actually helps a woman give birth on the road like i couldn't find like the how story i couldn't I didn't see it easily accessible and I didn't feel like going through the book. Right. But um <laughs> so she helps a woman give birth and then she actually gives birth to their child alone in the caravan. Jeez. And that child um, sadly died. It was very premature. And so Mm. he only lived one day, Um, but it wasn't a result of like her being alone or giving birth outside of a hospital. He was just born like too early to have survived. Right. But she's treated really badly after that happens by authorities and like not allowed to make decisions about what to do with the body and what to do about the burial and that kind of thing. So again, it, it just kind of kicks into gear like her interest in in midwifery and more gentle approaches to this kind of thing and by the end of that year 1971 her and her husband found something called the farm in Tennessee okay um the farm still exists today and it's kind of like the it's considered one of the first out-of-hospital birth centers in the U.S. so is it it like a
0: cult or is it like no
1: because people don't Permanently live there in any way. Okay. You can go for like a couple months and get prenatal care and kind of like live in a almost like a co-op type community. Okay. But okay. it's it's not a community in the sense where there's like a binding belief or religion. Okay, I think it, I think it felt like that at first.
0: <laughs> I just I just saw these people like the pictures of them and yes. wow,
1: that's yeah. not what I was
0: expecting at all. Yeah, that's fascinating. I,
1: I think it probably started with a, a culty feel. Yeah, but. It today, I mean, it's still operational today. It's in Summertown, Tennessee. Okay. And it's basically like a midwife community. Okay. Um, And there are people, like, I've talked to people who can go there and have babies. They do other stuff there. Um, some things about like growing food and I think they have a couple nonprofits and organizations, right? And it's kind of like Mm -hmm. off the grid, very hippie, but it's also somewhere where there's a bunch of midwives who like live on the farm and deliver babies there. Gotcha. She actually found a local family physician named Dr. John Williams, and it was he was kind of her mentor, and he mentored a bunch of the women who wanted to be midwives. And Part of why he was amenable to this is he, for twenty years, had served Amish communities who had home births. Oh, Still, so,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. right.
1: So he was familiar with out-of-hospital childbirth and a variety of things like that. And so he kind of took Ina May Gaskin under his wing, and they started the Farm Midwifery Center, gotcha. which is where it is today. Um, it's like the dream. You can like live there for like a month, get all your prenatal care, hang out for a bit, have family stay with you. It's that like it's nice, pretty
0: cool, actually.
1: Yeah, it's like a nice little community thing. Um, and so as she's running this in the 70s, she publishes her first book, which is Spiritual Midwifery in 1977. Mm. Okay. And so a quote about it is, considered a seminal work, it presented pregnancy, childbirth, and breastfeeding from a fresh, natural, and spiritual perspective, rather than the standard clinical viewpoint. In home birth and midwifery circles, it made her a household name and a widely respected teacher and writer and she is like she's a name that anyone who's into this stuff for no reason like me um <laughs> knows who Ina May gaskin is she speaks at a lot of things she's on the board of a lot of things still right and so she went on to write other books there's like a guide to childbirth a guide to breastfeeding um a midwife's like manifesta is a book she wrote so she has a number of books that people use still today okay she also Um, is kind of credited with like the popularization of what they call direct entry midwifery, which is a midwife who's not trained as a nurse first. Okay. So we have certified nurse midwives who would work in a hospital and be a nurse. Right. But a direct entry midwife would do like home or birth center and is not medically trained in that sense. Okay. Um, she's published magazines, all sorts of stuff. And there's also a maneuver that's actually used in medical settings called the Gaskin maneuver. Which is credited to her. Okay. And so it's it's essentially getting on all fours, right? Like you can hear it called all fours, to address shoulder dystocia. So that's like when the head is born and the shoulder gets stuck on the pubic bone. Okay. Um, Which can be really dangerous. Yeah. It's a particular maneuver she like introduced to the u.s at least she did not invent it she learned it from a woman in belize who had learned the maneuver in guatemala where it originated Jeez, yeah so it's like she did not invent it but she did bring it to the u.s and teach it to midwives
0: it feels like one of those things that you read in like historical fiction books where they're like the cult needs to be turned or like something like that she kind of came up with the the concept of like making sure that it's well, she didn't come up with it, but she popularized it then, right?
1: Yeah. She like okay. brought it to the US. Okay. um, And taught it to midwives. And there are medical professionals and teams who are trained on it today. Not all mm-hmm. of them, because generally speaking, and I'm biased and someone would figure out I'm biased from listening to this, but it's like <laughs> obstetricians job and training is not in like facilitating a like, quote, normal birth is what they would call it. But, like, obstetricians are trained surgeons. What they learn to do is deal with a problem.
0: Okay. Right?
1: Most of them, like, very rarely see a full end-to-end natural birth. I'll I'll do my terminology thing here. Is that, like, natural birth now is kind of a weird, confusing term because different people mean different things. Right. Like, some people, when they say a natural birth, mean no interventions, no medication, no IV, nothing. Some people mean just no medications some people just mean a vaginal birth right like if it's not a c-section it's a natural birth right um there's kind of varying levels and so then you start to hear like vaginal birth or med free birth the term that i think now is kind of what natural birth used to mean is physiological birth is what like a lot of literature uses which is where there's like nothing that impedes the body's natural process okay right so which
0: actually is kind of like what dick reed said is yeah like, that i think no that intervention. definition is yeah.
1: now what i would hear people call physiological birth okay um but it's kind of because natural birth people mean different things now okay but so I mean, and it's like, hard because like
0: i feel like there's also like a stigma of like oh you're not having a natural birth it's like yo i just want to get this baby out of me so right. like I think I that, know. like, I've seen, I have a couple friends on Facebook that, like, have kids and stuff or like, they're always talking about, like, how you should be breastfeeding. And it's, like, I feel like there's so much shit on women of what they should and shouldn't yeah. be doing. And it's, like, women shaming. And it just feels like moms have enough fucking things to worry about.
1: Yeah. Well, and that. then, like, and then it depends what, because there's a difference between someone who's, like, no, I want an epidural and someone who's, like, I want a C-section, like, planned for Schedule reasons, mm-hmm. you know, like Rory's mm-hmm. stepmama, Gilmore girls. Like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the best example I could think of. That's such a that's good That's literally what she so does. Good. She's like, Well, I have a meeting, so we're doing it at this time. Like, that's different.
0: That sounds but, on par.
1: <laughs> yeah. But a lot of this idea, like, starts to come out in the 70s, and Ina Mae Gaskin's credited with a lot of the shift and kind of like popularizing it. But it's also just a larger movement. It goes along with a lot about like female autonomy and the feminism of the time is kind mm-hmm. of tied into it especially um, the
0: 70s like bra burning yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: and so there's lamaze comes kind of into popularity along with bradley and a couple other methods um lamaze and bradley are like the two probably most widely still used ones from the what's time. the difference between
0: lamaze and bradley
1: they're similar and i would probably get in trouble for saying that oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I think they just use like slightly different techniques. Okay. But I don't think they're.
0: But like the core of them is like.
1: The yeah. Same. The core of them is like.
0: Like breathing. How to navigate pain. Like. Moving your body. Yeah.
1: The. Okay. The idea of a coach.
0: Okay. Right. Um, Ice chips.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think Lamaze focuses a little more on breathing. That kind of thing. Gotcha. But they're pretty similar. Which is interesting. Like we have so many classes now, and I feel like if you went back two hundred years and told someone like, "Here's a class on how to give birth," you're like, "What the fuck do you mean? Here's a class on how to give birth?" Like, Which actually,
0: it's funny because I think you're right. I think we are so unexposed to it.
1: Yeah, I think we're like you're. You have to relearn what used to be like,
0: like normal, normal, or yeah, the natural. I don't not to use the word natural because I feel like that's I, a terrible word to use, but like yeah, I mean, we talked about this last episode where it was like women were like okay, everybody's going over to Sarah's house because she's giving birth. Right. So, like, little kids are running around, like, go get the towels, and the men are outside, and, like, it's like a community affair as opposed to now, I think the movement into hospitals has made it more,
1: yeah like, well, private. A lot of what the classes teach you are, like, how to get kind of, like, primal about it and let go of other things that are probably just what you did before. Yeah. But it's also, like... Like, screaming. Yeah. Can well, you like...
0: scream? Like, do they, are they, like, definitely scream, or are they, like be I cool. mean,
1: you can but so part of the thing is like tensing up is bad right like your uterus is a muscle and right. so if you tense up it makes it worse um mm-hmm. and then you like lose air if you are screaming okay right so okay. it's not like like you can scream you can do whatever you want um <laughs> but sh- like they keep it keeping it low pitched is what you should do right where you're not losing air and it's like
0: and that's you're right that's when it becomes more like grunting yeah and that's literally primal. like the
1: mm-hmm. organization thing i trained through is like low and sexy is what they say to do. Like,
0: Oh, that's really funny. I love yeah, that.
1: Versus screaming like, you can do whatever you need, but it doesn't help in the same way. Right, right.
0: Okay, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm learning so much. I feel like not even a fraction prepared to eventually have children one that's... day, but I feel mildly more <laughs> of a fraction prepared.
1: <laughs> you know some of the buzzwords, at least. Yeah. Um, the 70s is also when you see fathers be consistently allowed into the rooms for the birth. I say fathers, um, the language was husbands at the time, mm. right? It was husbands mm-hmm. were in, And right. I actually found this cool article that had a like an actual printout from the 70s. It was like a pamphlet they'd been given at the hospital about rules for fathers. Okay. Um, and it was still like, they were usually asked to leave um, for cervical checks and they were asked during pushing to like stay up near the head so they were allowed right. in the room but they were still like but you shouldn't see everything you know <laughs> which, but which is so interesting it's, it's so like yo y'all already been
0: down there so like yeah I think it's really <laughs>
1: So it was like they were allowed in, but it was still not like you're actively involved as much. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you can be there. Right. Um, along with that, it's, I feel like all my decades and sections are basically just a, like two opposite things. Cause it's, there's this increase in interest in like out of hospital births and midwives and the kind of natural birth movement. But there's also like, we're inventing more interventions all the time. Mm-hmm. So like electronic, F- uh, electronic <laughs> electronic fetal monitoring
0: <laughs> honestly i thought that was the word i was like oh okay electronic. Well, yeah. that sounds really good
1: no like <laughs> fetal monitoring becomes big in the 70s and is where you start seeing it like used kind of by default okay it hasn't really been studied very heavily at the time they're just mm-hmm. like hey we've got this thing like we'll put it on you and see see if it helps let's see what happens <laughs> yeah and there's there's plenty today of, like, hashtag discourse about, is it actually useful right. at all? Um, but so you start to see that. In the early 70s, the C-section rate in the U.S. is about 5%. Wow. Um, So they're starting to use it. It's for, like, very life-threatening things they can identify ahead of time. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. It's about 5%. Um, I, I got the C-section rate for all the different decades. And I'll give you the, like, background thing on it is... So, the WHO, the World Health Organization, says that about 15% of births need a C section for both mom and baby to be safe.
0: So, that could be like the size, like let's say the pelvis isn't big enough, or like the baby's too big.
1: That's like. That's like barely a real thing. Okay. Um. And if it is, Gee, that's not... like
0: such a myth. I thought it was yeah. like, oh, I'm too small to like birth yeah, a child. There, there
1: is like an I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it's like it's rare and usually you wouldn't know that until it was happening, right? Like you can't just be like, well, the baby's big; it's too big. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Um. But things like um a baby being transverse, so lying sideways in your uterus. Yeah, oh. yeah. Right. Um. When placenta previa where the placenta moves in front of the cervix and would be the first thing to come out
0: okay um
1: the cord being tied around the neck too tightly there are things like that that Um, would
0: require a c-section yeah like true
1: fetal distress and so who says basically about i think it's 15 to 18 in that range percent is like about the percent of pregnancies
0: that requires that it.
1: optimally require a C section for like the best outcomes. Okay. So in the 70s, we're at about five percent. Obviously, who is not out there saying this yet, but just for mm-hmm. context as we go through it. Okay. Um, and so as we get into the eighties, again, we start to see studies come out on things like electronic fetal monitoring mm-hmm. um and ultrasounds start to get used more often. Okay. So, like you said, they existed before, but they weren't really routine and they weren't super accurate. Right. Um so they now start to become you can hear the heartbeat, you can see the baby. Some people start to use it for the sex, but it's not that reliable. Okay. Um but part of the reason they become common is in the 80s Medicaid expands to include prenatal care. So it didn't include very much before. Oh. So there starts to be an understanding that like what you do while you're pregnant is important for, the, for the baby. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I mean women were smoking, drinking in the 50s and 60s like it was like like, right. it wouldn't have the same kind of impact. And then I think it was, like, the 70s and then the 80s, that's right, where there was yeah. more of a, yeah.
1: Yeah. So there start to be these studies about, like, kind of minor interventions, right? Like, monitoring and ultrasounds are technically interventions, mm-hmm. but they're not, like, C-sections or whatever. Right. Um. This is actually, we start to see the word doula appear in some of the studies. Oh, that's um, cool. Saying that, like, a support person is helpful, like, someone specifically trained, etc. Right. And they found what, at the time, is the National Association of Childbearing Centers, which is now, I think, just like birthcenters.org. Okay. Um, so this idea of something that isn't a home birth but isn't a hospital birth kind of comes oh so it's like a- you
0: go to okay 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 i feel like i've seen this
1: yeah so again on centers- tv shows but i've yes. seen it like you don't go
0: to a hospital maternity ward
1: yeah it feels like a house with like bedroom setup and stuff but there's usually a nurse on staff they're usually affiliated with a hospital not always but usually right um and so you're in like a bedroom with a bathtub and it's tranquil and all that but it's not mm-hmm. your house right okay. um and so this idea of birth centers That's cool. like coming up. I feel like Um, I can get on
0: board with that more than like giving birth in my living room in a pool.
1: Yeah. And by this point, about half of women get an epidural. So, epidurals like shot up in popularity during the 80s. And around this time, we get to a 16% C section rate. So, kind of right around like what you would expect based on what we know now. Mm -hmm. But other stuff starts to get kind of invented in response to this, right? So, epidurals are known to slow down labor in a lot of cases right um and especially i think they they weren't as like nuanced as they are now where you can do like there's something some anesthesiologists can do now called a walking epidural where you aren't fully numb like these different levels i don't think they really had that concept
0: right right. um it was like you either feel it or you don't feel it yeah
1: and so because it would slow down labors they started using pitocin to make the uterus contract right so some of this stuff kind of like builds on each other
0: i was actually reading when i was doing my research that births are like two or three hours longer now than they were in like the 70s or 60s because of that or they think it's because of that
1: yeah that's like probably one of the reasons if you're sitting down like if you're lying down that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so again this kind of like Some people start leaving the hospital again or using midwives, but we're inventing so many more interventions and like coming up with things that it kind of cancels it out. Mm -hmm. In the nineties, they actually come out with something called the mother friendly childbirth initiative, which I love. I love this thing.
0: That sounds really good.
1: (laughs) It is. And so there's, you'll hear baby friendly hospital as a concept sometimes, which is mostly around the hospital's protocols to encourage breastfeeding are most of them. Okay. But it's, aimed at, like, improving infant mortality outcomes, right? This idea of a baby-friendly hospital. Mm-hmm. So this was sort of, well, here's the mother-friendly gotcha. hospital, right? Like, a, a mother's also there. So there's 10 main points to it. We're going to go through all of them. Don't worry.
0: Yes.
1: Um, so in order to be considered, like, a, mon- a mother-friendly hospital, so it says that you offer all birthing mothers unrestricted access to the birth companions of her choice. Okay. So whether that's fathers, children, partners, doulas, etc.
0: So unrestricted means as many people as you want, or is it like, okay, you can pick five people.
1: So, I mean, I think ideally it would be as many as you want and also not at like certain visiting hours. Okay. right? Not after 8 PM, you have to go home or something okay. like that. Obviously this is all COVID notwithstanding.
0: Right. <laughs> so is, the, is this, this isn't during labor though. This is like after.
1: No, I think it's also referencing during like okay. basically any support person that you want there okay, should be allowed there got it um including professional for what they say from a skilled woman like a doula okay and as well as access to professional midwifery care so obviously like you're going to have doctors there too but they're saying that access to midwives as well like you can have
0: this. a doctor and a midwife or a doctor and a doula yeah. like you can have multiple support
1: yeah exactly um so it would also provide accurate descriptive and statistical information to the public about practices and procedures including mm-hmm. um measures of intervention and outcomes So you can, especially for a lot of like state hospitals, look up C-section rates and induction rates and things like that, but they're saying all hospitals should make that available. Mm -hmm. Um, Provide culturally competent care. So, you know, specific to beliefs, values, customs related to ethnicity and religion. Okay. Provide the birthing woman with the freedom to walk, move around and assume the position of her choice during labor and birth, Mm. unless there's something specifically required to correct a complication. Okay. Okay. And with that discourages the use of the lith- lithotomy position lying on your back. Okay. So that's let them move and sit how they want and do what they want unless there's like a real concern. Okay. Um, they should have clearly defined policies and procedures for collaborating and consulting with other maternity services. So what that's really addressing is sometimes hospitals don't like home birth. And if you have to transfer from a home birth, they'll be shitty to you. Oh. Or like not let the midwife in, or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's basically saying, you know, if they have other providers, you should work with them. Okay. And link the mother to appropriate community services, so like breastfeeding support or follow up or whatever that might be.
0: Gotcha. Like a lactation lactation specialist. Exactly. Or, got it.
1: Exactly. Um, so it says does not routinely employ practices that are unsupported by scientific evidence. Um, so some of the examples it gives are shaving and enemas, like we talked about mm-hmm. um IV drips. So a lot of this is like if I don't need an IV, don't give me an IV, okay, withholding nourishment. So you hear like the ice chips thing a lot where they don't yeah. like, it's saying let let you eat. Um, that's
0: like I've always heard that's because like you poop your pants when you're giving birth.
1: I mean, you do, but you're probably gonna poop your pants either way, whether but, you eat or not yeah and, also, and like only who cares, but, the reason they'll give is like, well, if you have to be put under general anesthesia for some reason, then you have to have like an empty you're stomach. You're not supposed to be eaten. Yeah. But like I could have to be put under general anesthesia at any point. Right. Um, Early rupture of the membrane. So breaking the water ahead of time mm. and continuous electronic fetal monitoring
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, because there's really not much evidence to support that it's that helpful. So those are things where they say, don't do these because there's not. Evidence. And then they give some interventions kind of limited to the recommendations, right? So an induction rate of 10% or less is what's considered like scientifically recommended. Again, there are reasons to induce, right? But in about 10% or less of cases.
0: Okay. So Um, if it's above 10%, then you know that they're just inducing labor.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a red flag. And it it could be for different reasons again sometimes they're just scared of getting sued there are cases where a doctor is like well i'd really like to go on vacation you know
0: yeah <laughs> let's um, speed this whole thing up
1: <laughs> yeah sometimes they just see it as more convenient whatever the case is gotcha um an episiotomy rate of 20 percent or less is kind of the upper limit though the goal should be five percent or less
0: oh there's nothing that freaks me out more than episiotomies honestly Fair. I just found out my dog needs to get one because she has a receding vulva. So oh, they good. literally have to like remove part of her. I hate it. Like area. I was like, that's, that's all they call it. They're like, yeah, that's a dog episiotomy. I'm like, that's terrible. Like that's not even close to what a human one is, but it still
1: feels so sad. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, so a total cesarean rate of 10% or less in a community hospital and 15% or less in tertiary care hospitals. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think tertiary care hospitals generally have more high risk patients,
0: right? Okay, right. So
1: it's a little bit higher, but it's still at that fifteen percent, and then a VBAC rate of sixty percent or more. So VBAC is vaginal birth after cesarean.
0: I was just gonna ask, what the fuck does that mean? Sorry,
1: VBAC vaginal birth after cesarean. A goal of seventy five percent or more. Um, and well, I'll touch on that once I finish all our different points. Educates staff in non drug methods of pain relief and doesn't promote the use of a drug that's not specifically required mm-hmm. so it's not saying like promote not getting it you can get it but not pushing it on people
0: right like you need to get this or you really should be it's yeah like,
1: like are you sure you don't want it yet right or a lot of people will put in their birth plans like don't offer me drugs right right like i know they exist and i'll ask if i want them but don't offer them yeah and they should know other methods of pain relief okay Encourage mothers and families to touch, hold, breastfeed, and care for their babies to the extent possible with any conditions. Mm -hmm. Discourage non-religious circumcision. That's probably a a nice controversial one in here. Oh, yeah. Um, Which I'm not really sure why that one's under mother-friendly instead of baby-friendly, but it is. Yeah, that's Uh interesting. And then they include strive to achieve the who 10 steps to a baby-friendly hospital. Okay. Um. So like th- those kind of go in there, but those are the things that this initiative says hospitals should strive for. Gotcha. Not nearly as many hospitals care about this as they do the baby friendly one. Right. Right. But so what in the nineties, this is kind of what they're looking at is like, what's considered having the mother in mind. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff gets kind of put into the routine here. So again, ultrasounds become even more common now that they can reliably be used to determine the sex of a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, now you're getting typically insurance typically covers three per pregnancy, three ultrasounds, three ultrasounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, usually you would get one at like confirmation. So like eight or 10 weeks when you go in, you just to confirm there's a baby in a heartbeat. Um, you'd get one at 20 weeks or so for the anatomy scan where they look to make sure everything's there. And then usually one towards the end. Okay. And that's kind of the routine. But then if
0: there's like some type, because I've heard some women have to get more because yeah, of if like there's anything, some type
1: of yeah, concern. There's, if there's something to monitor or like growth is off or something like that, they'll give you more. Gotcha. Like, like I've had more than three because I was at a fertility clinic. So they give you a bunch, but okay. my insurance only covers three. The rest have had to be out of pocket.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, In the early nineties through most of the decade, our C-section rates at about 23%. Okay. So we're over that 15% limit. We're into about a quarter. Okay. And we start to see an increase in the VBAC rates that I mentioned. So the vaginal birth after cesarean, which has heavily been discouraged partially because um, when they were doing the incisions, like I said, when they did them vertically, they had a higher rate of uterine rupture, which is the main concern. Okay. Right. That the stress of labor will cause your incision to open up.
0: So at this point, they hadn't really switched to more horizontal. Yet. Right. They like okay. are
1: just kind of starting to. Wow. And
0: that's in the 90s. I mean, yeah. like that was like 30 years ago, which is fucking terrifying. But, right. I mean... but you
1: see an increase because they start to switch. OK. So like it actually reaches a peak of 28 percent, which is like a peak for the U.S. Right. um, Of more people at least attempting a VBAC. um, And. We'll talk about it when we talk about it today, because some doctors are still dumb about it. But hmm. so that's your '90s. Um, I kind of pushed together the '20, the '2000s, and the '2010s.
0: They're basically um, the same time, anyway. Yeah, that's and, how I remember them. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's also pretty similar to the '90s. So I don't have a ton here; just a few like statistics. Yeah. Um. By this point, one third of births are C-sections, so we're at like thirty-three to thirty-five percent, which is still about the national average today. So is
0: that like choice?
1: Partially, I have. Um, at the end, I have a list of reasons.
0: Okay, because um, I'm curious. Like for that. Like if I went in and I was like, I want a C-section, even though I don't necessarily need it. Like, yeah. can I volun? Can I voluntarily get one? Is, like some I doctors the
1: will do that. Okay. Yeah. Some are like totally no problem, whatever. Some will say it needs to be medically indicated. Okay. Um, but they're basically just very trigger happy with it right like I was gonna say it
0: just seems so high one-third is. is like yeah a really big percentage so
1: yeah it's way higher than it should be but um some doctors will encourage you to just schedule one
0: mm-hmm.
1: or be fine if you want to some will be like no you have to have a reason and it's the same right. with induction right some doctors are totally fine if you're like I'm tired of being pregnant they're like okay here you go where <laughs> some are like no you need a reason right which is one of the reasons it's like they want them to publish statistics, right? So you know what hospital is more likely to give you a C-section or an induction Mm -hmm. or something like that. right? Um, And then out of hospital births like starts trending up again. But when we talk about trending up, I mean like today, 1% of babies are born at home. Wow. So we're talking about like percents of percents when we talk about trending up. Mm -hmm. There's some chunk of that that's also birth centers, but it's not a lot, right? It's a low, a very low. It's number. maybe
0: like one percent are born at home, three percent are born in exactly. birth centers, and the other ninety six are born in a exactly. hospital. Okay,
1: yeah. Um, I just what, made that
0: up, also, for people right, listening. But it's like I, something it's not like real. that.
1: The one yeah. percent is real. Yeah. Um. There's two vi- two movies that come out in 2008 and 2009. The biggest one being um a 2008 documentary called "The Business of Being Born." This is actually made by Ricky Lake, LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, how is that possible? That hairspray came up two times now. I know. That's crazy shit. So, like, Ricky Lake had a really shitty traumatic birth experience in the hospital and hated it. And then like has a home birth with her next kid. And so she makes this documentary called The Business of Being Born. That is very critical of the healthcare system. Especially doctors. And it puts forth a lot of like... There are things you can look at, and I don't know how, how well done their studies were, right? But it's mm-hmm. like, there are certain times of day that C-sections are most likely to occur. And it's like noon and 5 p.m., right? Like, oh, I want to go to lunch and I want to go home. Mm. Um, things like that. It, it paints okay. a very like cynical view of doctors of and that. hospitals. Right, um, right. And it follows a midwife to different home birth appointments. I'm pretty sure you see Ricky Lake give birth for a minute there. Um, it talks to a lot of scholars, Ina Mays in it. It's like a really kind of seminal piece. A lot of people will say it's like terrible propaganda and it's all lies. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but it talks just about this idea that I don't think it invented this term, but it like popularized it, the cascade of interventions. Okay. Which is the idea that if you go in and they give you like one intervention, it tends to lead to others.
0: Okay. That makes sense.
1: So like you go into the hospital and let's say you go into labor naturally and you go into the hospital and they give you an IV, right? And they tell you you're not going to eat and like kind of those types of general things. Mm-hmm. And then they come in and they ask you if you want an epidural. So you say yes. So you get the epidural and then that slows down your labor. So now they have to come give you Pitocin and to, because, like speed it up. to speed okay. it up. And because they gave you Pitocin, Pitocin contractions are like unnaturally strong. So now you need more epidural. So this is like
0: if you give a mouse a cookie, but pregnancy.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then because the Pitocin contractions are really strong, the baby's heart heart rate suffers a little bit.
0: Because so if you of, give a mom an IV drip, you end up having to.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the idea. And so now you're, you're on shit. continuous monitoring and continuous monitoring is shown to lead to higher C-section rates because you see every little change.
0: Mm-hmm. So now you've had
1: a C-section because you had an IV drip. Okay. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's called cascade of interventions. Epidural and Pitocin are like the two big ones in there that kind of feed into each other. Right. Um. But it's a lot about that, but it's very like influential. And if you're ever in any like naturally crunchy mom type groups everyone's like you have to watch the business of being born um (laughs) i mean yeah (laughs) i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) um the other movie that comes out in 2009 so the next year is orgasmic birth which isn't quite as popular as the business of being born i think mostly because it never got put on netflix Mm. um which business of being born was on netflix for years an orgasmic birth has kind of a like catchy title, right? Like, you're like, I mean, Whoa. I'm,
0: I have no idea what the fuck you're going to talk about right and now, but I am on the edge of my seat. Like, it is an
1: idea like there are women that orgasm during birth. A lot of the physical mechanisms are similar, right? And we were talking about like right. the sexy sounds and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Most of the movie is just about like women giving birth at home in a very natural way that is like kind of the without fear, not without pain, but like. They use a lot of terms like sensations instead of contractions about like a blissful birth. But there are women in it who have orgasms as they give birth. And I think it's just like the big catchy title.
0: Wow. That's fucking wild.
1: I honestly would have never thought that that is like,
0: not that I wouldn't have thought that that's possible. I just would have never conceptually thought about it being combined.
1: Yep. And the moral there is kind of the same. Is that like the medical system and whatever has turned birth into a medical procedure and process mm-hmm. instead of something natural. So I mentioned the term like physiological birth earlier, which is the idea of it just kind of happening as it is quote supposed to. Right. The the corollary they use is pathological birth, where a dollar a doctor pathologizes it. Right. A doctor is looking for something wrong. That's their job. Okay. Um and so they're looking for what they need to fix or address. Um and so that kind of is like I think the basis of a lot of today, the way people think about it, if they're on that side. And again, I'm fully biased because like I like all that shit. (laughs) And I definitely think we're like over medicalized and need to cool it down and all that stuff. Right. And obviously part of the argument is like birth is so much safer today than it used to be, which is true. You're a lot less likely to die now than you were in like the 1920s. Mm hmm. That said, the United States compared to other, quote, developed countries, right? Like the OECD countries that we consider our peers. Yeah. We spend way more money on birth and all medical stuff, um, like medicine in general. But most places in Europe, for example, use midwives. They only use a doctor in the case of a complication. Hmm. Some of them use more hospitals. Some of them do more home birth or birthing centers. They have much lower C-section rates. They have much lower rates of all these different interventions. And their outcomes are way better. We have horrible outcomes. So of the um, 36 OECD countries that are usually compared, right, we are 33 out of 36 in infant mortality. So it's not like we're doing so great out here and like...
0: Oh, shit. So it's like, okay, okay, okay. I was thinking of it the opposite, like we'd be number one in infant mortality, no, meaning that, that like we have more of them, but now I'm understanding that that's yeah, not no. correct.
1: Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. We're like the other way around. And I mean, wow. I think even in the world, let me find, I had the number here in the world. We're like not doing so hot. Yeah. Um, obviously when you start to get into country, like, and again, these are not the like developing countries, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously we're not like the bottom of the list. Right. But considering where we consider ourselves globally and how much we spend on medical stuff Mm -hmm. so here so if i look at this full list of 193 countries uh we are 148 wow infant mortality holy shit so like it's not um good here (laughs) yeah and the same in maternal mortality out of that list i found had 186 countries apparently no one knows how to define a country that's a whole nother thing Mm. but out of 186 where we had statistics were 56 out of them and maternal mortality in the u.s is pretty bad again considering how much we spend and how much intervention we use so like what's the theory i don't and again
0: this is super open like what what is the theory behind that um, part of it is like
1: overuse of interventions okay so again right? cascading like it starts yeah to... okay. yeah and like c-section in cases can save your lives in other cases it's major abdominal surgery that is like not i mean yeah it's a huge fuck- yeah i mean and huge it's different deal. So like, maternal mortality a lot of it here is really attributed to like poverty and a lack of health care mm-hmm. not having access to prenatal care to diagnose conditions mm-hmm. not having access to follow-up care um, like oh, even yeah. if you think about it you have a baby and then you don't go back to the doctor for six weeks yeah just, like like your whole body just
0: went through something extremely traumatic and it's like see you in a month and a half yeah. yeah infant
1: mortality is partially that there's some things where like because we do so much intervention we will often try to resuscitate premature babies earlier than other countries would mm. and then if that doesn't work it's considered infant mortality okay right and so there's certain things like that that kind of skew it but it's basically like we do all this shit and our numbers are still not great i wonder if there's
0: any correlation between or maybe not correlation maybe causation i don't know between like how much time we have for maternity leave and maternity care and like just the lives of of mothers
1: i i mean i'm sure it falls into that like you're not getting very good care in the postpartum period and so you might not know if something is wrong and, right? some and people you go are back working to work up
0: literally until yeah. their fucking due date
1: because right or you go back time. to work a week later and don't realize that like you have an infection or you can't mm-hmm. take off or something like that that's fucking so easy. it's literally i think mostly like our shitty economic system
0: yeah
1: um is a lot of why uh racial disparities that exist here that a lot of the countries that we like, you know, we get compared to like Denmark and Sweden and all that, Mm -hmm. um, they're a lot less diverse and therefore have a lot less racial disparities. Right. Um, like black maternal mortality is way worse than white maternal mortality here when you split it out. Um, but just overall, like, yes, birth is a lot safer than it used to be. I would rather have a baby today than like the eighteen hundreds. But it's not like we've done all this stuff and made it magically like perfectly safe. Yeah. Like I said, only about 1% of babies are born at home at this point. I thought this was really interesting and kind of to that like cascade of intervention or whatever you want to call it. In like the last few years, about 80% of women say that they want to have a natural birth in the sense that they want to not use pain medication. Mm-hmm. Um, not No pain medication, no C-section is how they're defining it. So okay. about 80% of women say that's what they want, but about 66% of women will have an epidural so there's like
0: you know what okay i have a theory i now that i'm thinking about that okay so do you remember how i'm sure you remember in the 2016 election everyone was like clinton's in what the fuck because nobody wanted to fucking admit that they were voting for trump yeah i could see that being part of the reason why like women would be like i feel ashamed thinking yeah i probably will want an epidural because i'm i'm terrified
1: but like saying that out
0: loud i think people are like oh really like well like i feel like that the judgment of like oh right. yeah i want to have this like I'm planning but then, on like, it yeah right like or or You've never, like, especially how many of these women are maybe first-time mothers. Right, where they're you like, don't know. I've never, <laughs> I have no fucking idea. And then you get there, you're like, yep, no, I can't do this. Yeah. This is what I need. And my so, thing is, like,
1: I don't care if you want to have an epidural. Live your life. Whatever. Yeah. Um, My thing is mostly, I don't think we're very good at informed consent about it. So, like, if you want to have an epidural, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. But doctors will make it, like, yep, we'll just do this and it's fine. And it's, like, there are possible effects that are very bad, right? Like, there's right. a very low risk of them right it's not common but there are women who are like completely paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of their lives
0: and it's like the assumption Um, by the doctors that are like oh this is the next step and because women again don't have this type of knowledge or like real learning about it they're probably like oh okay this is what's supposed to be done
1: yeah or like hey if you get this just know there's a chance we're gonna have to give you pitocin and then like Mm -hmm. they don't really do that they're just like here's this and i think most women assume it's like completely risk-free and that's right. not really how it works. And so I'm like, I right. don't care what you want to do, but I do care that like, you know what it like, what means. it is. And yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, or even like, there's a common thing. It's not like life threatening or anything, but called a spinal headache. Um, and if a little bit of fluid leaks out of like where it's put in to your back, women will get like debilitating headaches for a couple weeks after giving birth. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure no one tells you that. They're just like, oh, you want this? Sure. Right, so like, I don't right. care what you want to do, just I want people to, like, have information on why. right? Or Yeah. One of the things in the, like, birth class I'm certified to teach they do for an epidural is they give you a bunch of strings and are like, okay, here's, if you get an epidural, you're going to get an IV in your hand, right? So you, like, tape a string on. You're going to get a catheter, right? You can't go to the bathroom, so you don't have a catheter. You're mm-hmm. going to have a heart monitor. You're going to have, like, just kind of, here's what happens. And I feel like... Right. So
0: like this is what your body will be yeah ex- not exposed to but like feeling like strapped in like are right. you comfortable with that if you're not then you might want to rethink it Yeah
1: exactly yeah. so that's like my thing do whatever you want but just like you should know Yeah Um and so then the last thing I have is from who so again they specify about 15% as the ideal rate of C sections mm-hmm. to balance you know risk and health and some of the factors they cite as why the rates are going up around the world. Right. Um. So decreased tolerance for fetal risk. Mm-hmm. So again, that's partially, like I said, very legal, right? They're scared of being sued because you didn't take that preventative measure. Right. And with that, doctors aren't trained as often on certain things. So like a breach presentation where the baby's upside down mm-hmm. uh, and not head first. There are ways to like do that safely for the most part. Okay. Doctors, they don't have the training. Doctors for don't that. get trained on that, right? So, like, I, as much as in my head, I'm like, well, breach doesn't mean you have to have a C section. I wouldn't want a doctor to do it because right. they've likely never done it before. Mm-hmm. And so, instead of taking the chance of saying I can do it breach and whatever, they just do a C section. Mm-hmm. So, it's like a decreased tolerance for fetal risk. We also know more, right? So, the electronic fetal monitoring gives you more false positives, right? You see one dip in the heart rate and you're like, well, something could be wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: they'll go in. Again, decreased tolerance for perennial trauma, so like instead of doing episiotomies or forceps deliveries, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Overestimation of risk with labor after a prior C-section, so the fear of doing uh, a VBAC and it going badly, even though the chances are pretty low. Right. Um, lack of access to doula support is actually listed, and a ton of studies show that doulas reduce mortality rates, both infant and mother. So there's a lot of like movements that like Medicaid should cover them or things like that because it would Mm -hmm. actually improve outcomes. Right. Um, This, I kind of mentioned loss of obstetrical skills among obstetricians. One of the things that's arguable is increasing maternal obesity. Um, That could be like a whole episode itself. Um, But in theory, obesity in the mothers classified as high risk. They will often do a C-section for it or use other interventions induction because it correlates to gestational gestational diabetes etc um so a lot of people cite increasing obesity as a reason the maternal mortality rate specifically has spiked do you uh, know
0: again you probably don't yeah. know so it's fine if you don't but like i'm i'm diabetic so like where am i kind of fucked when it goes to like having kids or childbirth
1: <laughs> so i mean you would be I guess classified as having gestational diabetes. I don't know if they would call it that because that's specifically when it only occurs in pregnancy. Right. That's you'd what you'd I was reading about. Tr- you'd be treated the same. Okay. And I mean, really part of, besides like, obviously if the baby's blood sugar is all over the place, that's not good. Yeah. But they don't usually get diabetes from that, but it can make babies larger. Okay. Um, which has been just- harder to like pop out yeah and then they often will induce or do a c-section or something like that okay that makes automatically with gestational diabetes because they assume the baby will be very
0: large will be bigger okay that makes a lot Mm -hmm. of sense actually and i know like most of the times like medications that i'm on right now i can't be on so i would have to be on like an insulin injection which is whatever but i i feel like i read Honestly, I think since COVID, there's been so much shit about, like, high-risk people and stuff like that that I feel like it's been, mm-hmm. like, I'm so curious to see, like, how people who have these types of medical conditions are treated in, like, a birthing situation.
1: Yeah. Like, more that's, closely I mean,
0: monitored, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, increase in both induction of labor and use of epidurals. Right. So again, they kind of feed into each other. And mm-hmm. so both of those are more common. So they lead to higher C-section rates. right? And then there's maternal preference and obstetrician preference. So whether it's for scheduling or convenience or it's that like she's scared of labor or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. People having elective C-sections um, or being kind of cornered into a C-section by a doctor that wants them to whatever the case is. So those are all different reasons that who lists as contributing to higher C-section rates, not just here around the world, but ours is higher than a lot of other places. Um, so those are some fun things on the current state. Um, so yeah, there's good things, right? Like it's nice that we have a lot of certain interventions. Um, and some of them are maybe overused or not, not as good as we think. Right. Um, or some of the arguments you'll see are just, like, we still don't really pay attention to or care about the mother as much as we should. It's Because you'll always hear, like, well, as long as the baby's healthy, all, and obviously that's the goal, but, like, also right. I would like to be healthy.
0: Yeah, and no. Not traumat-
1: and not, like, traumatized.
0: Absolutely. I think that that's a really good point. It's, like, that I didn't even know that there was, a, there was like, a mother-friendly hospital versus, like, a an infant-friendly hospital. Yeah. So... Yeah, wow! so that's what we've got. All right. Well, thanks for listening, nerds. Uh, hopefully you don't have the same crippling fear of childbirth as I currently have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we will be back next week with maybe a, a more uplifting topic, but it's us. So maybe let's not. be real. Probably not. Uh, Cunity, and then we're... We
1: don't know yet.
0: We don't know. We're going to decide right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we only have a couple episodes left. This is... What, I think episode 36? So, yeah, so. we only have, like, four, three or four left. And then season two is over. And that's it. Wow. So, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to What the History. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHistoryPod. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at WTHistoryPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear feedback or episode ideas or anything else you have to say. You can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash podcast and get exclusive access to even more nerdy stuff. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday when new episodes are released, and we will see you next time.